Minutes after it was confirmed through a prenatal test that our third baby would be born with Down syndrome, there was a thunderous downpour of rain. It was quite appropriate, really, dramatically drawing a distinct line between before and after the moment where our lives changed forever. Welcome to the Mama Love Podcast. My name is Annie Love and I'm a mum, a wife, a life coach, creative spirit and all-round positive thinker. Our parenting journey has been, well, a bit of a roller coaster, and I've learned the hard way how to navigate through some pretty tumultuous times. This podcast is about finding joy, even in the midst of darkness, and believing that we can find light on the other side, even if the landscape is different to how we expected it to look. We're going to share stories and conversations along the way, and talk about how we create our best life, even when things feel hard. Thank you for being here. We were rather surprised by the discovery we were expecting our third baby, and it took four pregnancy tests to convince me that our littlest love was in progress. Coming from a family of seven children, I knew in my heart my family wasn't quite complete after having our first two boys, but I'm not sure I'd really come around to the thought of being pregnant again when Sam was only three and Charlie was one and a half. Going from being parents of one baby to parents of two children was frankly a lot harder than I had anticipated. And while I definitely wanted another baby, I thought a much bigger gap was in order this time. But the universe had other plans, and after the initial shock, we were happy, albeit slightly terrified that we would soon have three children under four years old in our care. We shared our good news with family and close friends quite early in the pregnancy and plan to keep any public announcements until after our 12-week scan. But that's when things got a little bit rocky. In mid-September, my husband Ben and I went along to our nuchal scan, about 12 weeks into the pregnancy, where we saw our teeny tiny baby looking very healthy and structurally good, according to the sonographer. Big sigh of relief. We then met with the consulting doctor, who put all the numbers in a computer and waited for it to spit out what they term as our risk result for the few most common chromosomal conditions, including trisomy 21. She then told us we had a 1 in 14 chance of our baby having trisomy 21, or Down syndrome as it's more commonly known. I remember the doctor talking about what the next steps could be in terms of further testing, but the details of that conversation are very blurry. I felt like I was having an out-of-body experience. We stopped at a park on our way home. I cried, and Ben and I began difficult conversation number one of many. In my heart I felt God say, just trust me. While comforted by that, I didn't get the sense that God meant, trust me, I'm going to make this easy. More like, trust me, this might be a cracker of a journey, but I'm here with you. I think in hindsight, I had a sixth sense that this pregnancy was a bit different. The next few weeks were difficult, to say the least, and I fluctuated between feeling completely lost and hoping that it would turn out I was just being a drama queen. We tried to keep things as normal as possible for the boys while we were dealing with our emotional roller coaster, 
but we were thankful for the wonderful family who took them out for adventures, so Ben and I had some moments to ourselves. Overall, I remember feeling very loved and that we had many friends and family who were travelling this journey with us. They couldn't stand in our shoes, of course, but they cried with us, fed us, babysat for us, supported us. They made me feel as though whatever happened, we could do this. The words from one particular friend still replay clearly in my mind. If you think you and Ben can't handle this, you're underestimating yourselves. Ben and I talked about our fears, thoughts, possible action plans, and then we had times where we just couldn't talk about this baby anymore. I would love to say that we were immediately unified in our decision to proceed with the pregnancy and keep this baby, but in all honesty, we weren't. We didn't know if we were up to the task of raising a child with a disability. Most of all, we were afraid. We both considered all options. I had felt this baby kicking inside my belly since 12 weeks into the pregnancy. He was already so much a part of me. While challenged and terrified by the thought of a positive diagnosis, we eventually came to the decision that we would have this baby regardless of many chromosomes he had. We made decisions based on the assumption the diagnosis would be positive for Down syndrome, but we still clung desperately to that 7% chance everything would be okay. The next question we needed to address was whether we could wait it out and find out when our baby was born whether he had Down syndrome. But the answer was that the uncertainty was killing us. I felt like either we would find out our baby was chromosomally typical and hopefully relax for the rest of the pregnancy, or that the diagnosis would be confirmed and we could move forward, plan, grieve, and hopefully start to look forward to the arrival of our littlest love. After much research and discussion, we booked an amniocentesis, which couldn't be performed until after 16 weeks into the pregnancy, and we settled in for the next wait. The amnio turned out to be the easy bit. I wasn't exactly looking forward to the process of having a needle inserted in my belly, and I was almost ready to pack up and go home when the sonographer couldn't see any of the usual markers for T21 on our very healthy baby. But I stayed. I felt confident in the hands of the doctor we'd chosen, and the procedure went really well, with little, if any, pain. We were due to receive the results within 48 hours by a phone call from either our obstetrician or the doctor who performed the procedure. On day one after the procedure, I settled in at home, enjoying the peace and quiet of being temporarily child-free, and I put the thought of getting an early phone call out of my mind. On day two, my stomach churned from the second I woke up. Mid-morning, my mobile rang, and my obstetrician's phone number came up on screen. This is it, I said to Ben. Big deep breath. It was the receptionist from our obstetrician's office, completely unaware of our current situation and innocently calling to rearrange our next appointment. False alarm. By lunchtime, I'm sure I could have been diagnosed clinically insane. At 3pm, I told Ben we needed to call them, but we were only able to leave messages. More waiting. By the time we got the call at 4pm, I was beside myself. I couldn't answer the phone, and I didn't want to hear the news on speakerphone, so I made Ben answer it. In my heart, 
I knew what the answer was going to be. I watched Ben's face as he listened to our obstetrician on the other end of the line. He just nodded. It's positive. Baby has downs. We cried and hugged each other. The rain came down so heavily we could barely hear ourselves think. Then Ben went to pick up our eldest son from daycare. I sent texts to the loved ones who were waiting in the wings for news. The world kept turning and life had to go on. I won't give you a blow-by-blow account of life past that moment in time. Suffice it to say the universe shifted on the 13th of October. There was lots of ugly crying and some very dark moments. Messy ones. Moments when doing normal stuff like getting your children to clean their teeth seemed far too hard to bear and hiding in a corner, rocking gently, seemed much more appropriate. Then every now and again there'd be a little glimmer of light like when my younger sister made me a CD of songs and delivered it to my letterbox, accompanied by a letter with funny stories that made me laugh out loud through my tears. Ben and I each went through various stages of grief over the next few months, but never at the same time, it felt. While we'd made the decision to keep our baby after the first test at 12 weeks, the latest confirmed diagnosis made it all so real that it was difficult not to question our beliefs. Initially, after the amniocentesis, I was really careful about heavy lifting and potential risks to the baby which could have been caused by the amnio. It probably sounds terrible, but after it was confirmed that the baby did have Down syndrome, I wondered whether it would just be easier if this baby passed away, if all these difficult decisions were just taken out of our hands. In theory, I had such strong ideas about what was right and what was wrong and how we should proceed but suddenly we were living this experience and it wasn't so black and white anymore. Ben and I chose to see counsellors together and separately as we talked through all of our options. We were told that if we did choose a termination, it all needed to happen quickly. But we were lucky we had an obstetrician who had quite a neutral approach and we knew she would support us whatever we decided. We've since heard many stories of parents pushed into an abortion by their medical consultants and receiving no support when choosing to continue a pregnancy after a Down syndrome diagnosis. Currently in Australia, the termination rate is about 95% after a confirmed diagnosis, but of course this doesn't account for those who choose not to have the tests in the first place. We didn't feel any pressure from our obstetrician, but there were certainly moments further on in the pregnancy where we felt that we were taking the past left less travelled, like when I received a phone call from a GP out of the blue who'd received a copy of my latest blood test and wanted to tell me I was anemic. Because I'd been under the care of my obstetrician, I hadn't seen this GP for over four months since the original appointment to confirm the pregnancy at around four weeks. But obviously she'd seen a copy of the amnio results. On seeing that I was iron deficient and without asking any other questions, she commented to me that, It was quite common to be anemic after a termination. After a brief moment of shock that she would have jumped to that conclusion, I responded pretty quickly saying that I hadn't had a termination and I'd talked to my obstetrician about the blood test results. After the diagnosis, there was much anger and sadness and oh so much silence between Ben and I as we each stumbled our way through the darkness. I participated in online forums and read lots of information 
while Ben spoke to a few close friends and decided to do his information gathering once he could meet our baby in person. We just had to love each other through the pain and trust that it will all be okay. And very, very slowly, the fog began to lift. Over time, we started sharing the news of our baby's Down syndrome diagnosis with friends and extended family, usually via email. It was really important to me to be able to share our news in a positive way and without me being a visible, blubbering mess, to let everyone know we were okay and that we were excited about meeting our beautiful baby and we wanted them to be too. I wanted other people to be able to process the news and grieve in their own way without being worried about how they may react and I'm grateful for the many beautiful, heartfelt and honest responses we received. We knew we were well supported in this journey, that our baby already had a strong network waiting to love him. A few weeks after the diagnosis, we went along to a detailed ultrasound to check on the baby's health. After feeling as though we'd been greeted with bad news at every turn, we waited expectantly for more challenges. But we were thankful to discover that baby love seemed to be growing and developing beautifully, with no apparent health concerns. I was comforted by how active he was in utero, always such a busy baby. We continued to have regular ultrasounds through the rest of the pregnancy and breathed a little easier each time, hearing that our baby appeared healthy and well. Our specialist commented a number of times that without the amnio results we never would have known about the T21 diagnosis until birth. With each prenatal scan and appointment, we tried to avoid finding out our baby's gender and let him reveal at least one surprise at birth. Which was great, in theory, until I went along to an obstetrician appointment in the final few weeks, and as I was having an ultrasound, she showed Charlie his new baby brother. Whoops. In the months following the diagnosis, sometimes I felt invincible, facing our new future with strength and peace. And other days, the roller coaster of emotions dipped and turned with such ferocity I just couldn't put on another brave face. Some days, trying to put on the facade that I had it all together was just plain exhausting. I expected the emotional recovery to improve day by day in an upward trajectory, but in all honesty, there were good days and there were bad days. However, having an almost two and an almost four-year-old afforded me little time for self-pity. My two big boys were very excited about meeting their new baby brother or sister, especially our eldest, Sam, who was now old enough to understand the concept of a new family member. As the weeks went by, I began to feel a glimmer of excitement at welcoming our new baby too. There were so many unknowns, but we were ready to hold that squishy new baby in our arms to get to know him and just face any challenges as they presented. I was also quite looking forward to being able to bend over again. A few days before reaching the 40-week mark, I went along to a scheduled appointment with my obstetrician one Monday afternoon and had a strong feeling we would soon be meeting our baby. I went home, tucked the boys into bed that night, tidied up loose ends, added the last bits and pieces to my hospital bag and went to bed, but was woken by a very strong contraction about 11.40pm. When the next contraction came soon after, we called my sister and her husband to tell them it was go time and left them with our boys as we headed off to the hospital. 
We met the midwife who would help us bring our beautiful baby into the world and she talked us through the birth plan we'd written as though she'd learnt it by heart. Just a few hours later at 2.55am, after a smooth and speedy delivery, we met our very beautiful and perfectly healthy third son, who we named Nicholas. With such an emotional pregnancy, I honestly thought there'd be tears as we met our baby boy for the first time, but there was just pure joy. As he cuddled into me and I scanned his face for the first time, I silently confirmed from his facial features that he did in fact have Down syndrome. But it was simply an acknowledgement, not accompanied by any sadness. I so distinctly remember looking at him and thinking, how could I not love you? Nicholas and I were able to spend quite a bit of time together after the delivery, skin to skin, breathing each other in. Within 15 minutes, we attempted our first breastfeed and discovered our little champion was a natural. So much for expecting a floppy baby, Nicholas was anything but, and we felt incredibly blessed to welcome a very strong and healthy boy. Not to over-dramatise things, but in that dark period after the Down syndrome diagnosis was confirmed, I did wonder whether I would ever feel truly happy again. Of course, I hoped that I would, that I would meet my baby and fall helplessly in love and never feel sad again. But it did feel like a pipe dream on some very dark days. But it is kind of how it happened. I can honestly say that our grief and sadness became part of history the moment we laid eyes on our new baby boy. We've had our moments over time, of course, but once we had the opportunity to get to know and love Nicholas as Nicholas, rather than just a diagnosis, it made a world of difference to our outlook. Needless to say, his big brothers never saw any difference or disability in their new baby brother. He was just their beloved baby nitty, as Charlie used to call him, and they were both besotted, with his blonde curl on the top of his head like something out of Dr. Seuss, and his blue sparkly eyes. Nicholas had a way of weaving his spell and wrapping us all around his little finger. In some ways I felt almost a little silly and maybe a bit guilty for the sadness post-diagnosis, but I know that it was all part of the journey in getting me to that place of feeling happy and in love with my baby boy. Life on the other side certainly felt like a very different place. Finding out that our baby had Down syndrome was one of the most difficult times in my life and in our marriage. But Ben and I would both do it all over again in a heartbeat just to know and love Nicholas and I'm so grateful for all the lessons we learned along the way. Every moment of that dark period of time was worth it for the light that Nicholas brought into our lives. He made us realise that Down syndrome was never something to be feared. Far from the panic that his presence would damage our family and our marriage, he enhanced it. He made us better people and in the four short years we were able to spend with him, Nicholas showed us how to truly live and celebrate each moment of our lives. Ironically, we received Nicholas's diagnosis in October, which is Down Syndrome Awareness Month, and he arrived into the world on the 20th of March, the day before World Down Syndrome Day. I think he was always meant to be part of our love story. Hey, thanks so much for listening to today's episode of the Mama Love Podcast. I am so grateful to have you here. If you love the show, I'd be honoured if you could hit subscribe. Perhaps you'd like to hire me as your very own coach, cheerleader and support crew. You can find out more about my coaching services over at mamalove.com forward slash coaching. 
That's M-U-M-M-A-L-O-V-E.com forward slash coaching. Or just come and chat to me on Instagram or Facebook at Mama Love. Talk to you soon.